I like the way this book makes it feel like it's okay for me to to be who I am and feel the way that I feel about my environment and the way I take things in. Welcome back to In Residence. I'm Keith. And I'm Laura. Hey, everyone. This week, Laura has been whisked away to a fabulous puzzling retreat sponsored by COVID-19. She's doing all right. She's made it through the first two puzzles I brought her, (laughs) and she's working on the third and fourth. But since we couldn't record this week, I dug into the vault of unreleased session from way back in May of 2023. It's the fourth session I think we did, learning how to edit and ship and get everything going. This one just kind of got pushed to a folder where, oh, I'll come back to that some other time. And that's now. So it's a conversation Laura and I had about Rick Rubin's book, The Creative Act, A Way of Being. So get ready for a full dose of me geeking out and being very excited about reading this book. (laughs) And Laura getting a glimpse of the way I think about creativity and seeing me light up and ramble, which I think I cut quite a bit of that out. We hope you enjoy, and we'll be back in full force very soon. So what do you want to talk about today? We're going we're gonna to use some of our notes from reading Rick Rubin's book, The Creative Act, A Way of Being, just to kind of stimulate our conversation, right, about creativity, I would assume, because that's what the book's about. Yeah, that sounds good. So you were listening to it? Yep, I listened to it. So it's that time of the the year where I'm out in my flower beds and doing all the things outside. So I was listening and gardening or prepping for gardening, pulling up all the weeds, getting a huge sliver in my palm. (laughs) We got it out. We did. Yeah. It was a big one though. Yeah. I think I might've gotten a little sunburn. Didn't think about that. Oops. So the way that I went about taking notes, so you know, if there's something that resonated with me as I was listening and gardening and weeding, I took a screenshot of the like where I was in the book. And so that's the loose notes that I have today. A screenshot of, I think it was four or five different areas that I thought, oh, that resonates with me a lot. And I feel like we should talk about that. Yeah, there's a few spots where I was just like, oh, gosh, like this is this is me. And it's a little almost embarrassing, like <laughs> the one where. I guess just get into it. how like artistic people, they're just very sensitive and they feel pretty hard. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh no, I'm like, yeah, that's, that's me. So I don't, I don't, I took, I like made a note like on the Kindle, but anyway, so that's what I'm listening back. Cause like you were listening to it fresh. So right. I, I haven't gotten through the whole book yet, but I was further along. And so listening back that came up and I'm like, oh, that's right. Like I remember that resonated with me. <laughs> so this time I like, I think I took a note of it. Yeah, I thought there's one one thing he talked about. As an artist, it's really important because of that sensitivity. One thing you can do is not, unless you're actively going to be working on it or improving it, not to share the thing that you're doing, your creative thing with other people, not to listen to it or read it, just to reread it unless you're actively going to be working on it because you'll continually find ways to change it, criticize it. He said something like, you know, there's lots of musicians who don't like to hear themselves sing or don't like to play back Mm -hmm. and hear that. And I remember that in college that I didn't, they would record you in the studio and they'd make you listen to your vocals so you could tell if you're 
if you're placing it up, you know, your voice in the correct spot and your tongue's in the right spot to make it really resonate in your head. And, oh, I hated that. I did not like listening to myself sing. I didn't have to do that for like vocal, but I did take communications and we had to do commercial spots for radio and voiceovers for like commercials. Yeah, I do not like the sound of my voice. I'm getting more used to it now, listening back. It just sounds so different because when you talk, when you hear yourself, you know, all the bone in your head vibrates too. And so it's just a different sound. And so, yeah, it's it's hard to get used to. Yeah, absolutely. What did you pull up there? Um, I'm looking here. Oh, so here it is. Many great artists first develop sensitive antennae, not to create art, but to protect themselves. Hmm. They have to protect themselves because everything hurts more. They feel everything more deeply. And I was just like, ooh, I'm like, yeah, that, that resonates. It's a little bit like, and not not to to be like a, a wounded, tortured artist, but it's more of, okay, cool. I don't always understand like why I'm feeling so emotional sometimes, but to realize like, oh, I'm just sensitive and that's okay. It kind of goes into later how he's talking about gathering data from the world with all of our senses. And just realizing like, yeah, that's what I'm doing as an artist. I'm taking everything in. And he goes on and talks about we're always trying to take things in and sometimes trying to not try to take it in, but also letting it come to you without being so aware is part of the goal. Realizing that all the time I'm taking an input and like, did you get to the point where he's talking like Andy Warhol having like a radio, a TV, this on in the background and this round, I'll do that sometimes. And not really realize that I just have like a cacophony of different, like I'll have a TV on, but it's muted and I'll have the music on and I'll be paying attention to something else that's making noise. Other times, like you'd be around me and I'd be like, can everyone just be quiet? And so it was funny that I have these two different juxtaposing forces. It just depends on either the mood I'm in or the time of day or whatever. But so he had that Andy Warhol example. And then he had somebody else that said, I don't need to be like in a cave. I need to be like a dead man where it's just like no input. Complete silence. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I uh, I think there's been times when I've walked in and you have like the TV on, but it's on mute. You have music going and you're reading. Yeah. <laughs> and I have no idea how how you can be processing that. I know one of my best states is if I'm like I, I go to like a coffee shop. That's the right amount of distraction for me to tap into my creativity. So wasn't he calling it? Um, now I'm trying to remember. So it was basically saying the idea that. Sometimes distraction can open up creativity and greatness instead of. Yeah, it, it all kind of blends it. So was it like the, the awareness part or he's got another one chapter titled The Vessel and the Filter? So I think it's like how, that's you, what it was. how you filter it. Like, what are you capable of filtering out? Yeah, the book was really good, but it was also really heady. Yeah, really heady. And I'm not saying that in a criticism. There's some things I'm like, oh, yeah, like it really resonated. And there's other parts where I'm like, whoa, I don't know if I am on the level to take this in right now, well, if that makes sense. Well, you were gardening. Yeah. And so True. the first, I, this is the third time I've started listening back through, because the first time I was probably doing laundry or dishes or some type of chore, trying to multitask, because that's like one of the best things about listening to podcasts or audiobooks is a lot of times you can multitask. Right. And it makes the, the physical task you're doing a little more pleasant for me if I can like be exercising my mind at the same time. Sometimes that's hard to do, especially with this this book. The text is very minimal, but because he's using such precise wording, it's very resonant to me. There's a lot there. And 
So this time I listened and was looking at the text at the same time. But Yeah, I was going to say that it was dense. There were so many ideas, one after the other. Like It was yeah. really dense because, because it's me. concise and he's using very precise words and it's so it just keeps going mm-hmm. and i need to remind myself to slow down and not take it like it's popcorn and maybe enjoy it like it's good for you healthy dark chocolate and just savor it a little bit so it's yeah but it's so good that you kind of want to plow through it as fast as you can but it's definitely going to take a couple listens through i might have to get the hardcover or the, the physical copy sure. too because i'm really enjoying it Can I ask you a question? Yeah. One of the chapters is called Nothing is Static. Everything is always changing. Today is different than yesterday. We know different things because of the environment we've been in. The idea that even when the maker or the creator makes something, when they come back to it the next day, they are not the same maker or creator they were the day before when they began making it, and that they're coming at that art or that creation in a different way. I even played it for our, our kiddos because I was like, whoa, there is something that's just so real about that and talks a little bit from my mind of that iterative process of creating and just how much and how malleable, 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 the creation and the creator are. I guess my question to you is, have you ever thought about that? Yes. It's not like a default of mine. In my ever expanding search for knowledge. And like he talks about that too, which makes me feel better because I will constantly research to no end. I think I need to focus that more in the way that he talks about it, which is continuing to find the source and the input that fulfills me as a creative. And so by doing those things where I'm constantly searching for whether it's knowledge or uh, a connection with, with nature or, or a piece of music or writing or reading, right? I'm hoping that I'll come back to the creative process with a new lens that will help shape whatever project I'm working on or wh- whatever I'm trying to create. But I, I need to remind myself to do that because my default is get it done and get it done right. And uh-huh. I, don't, I don't mean to always <laughs> say that. What I'm, I'm, the reason I'm bringing it up is because I don't I don't have it all figured out. And that's why I read things like this is because it helps me get in touch with that part of me again. So if that's all right, that leads me into another note. I took continuing to try to find that childlike wonder, mm-hmm. but here it is. I wrote, I feel so much better when I'm opening myself up to like music and writing and reading and that input it engages. And then that kind of brings me into his quote, which is like that childlike perception or the innocent state of wonder and appreciation, not tethered to utility or survival. You're like, I'm not doing this project because I need it to survive. I need to be able to sell it. It's because it's fulfilling something like more within. Right. And that's completely where you come from when you're younger. And it's purely about the creative process and that practice and nothing more because you're just simply in the throes of it. But then that also comes back to like when I was learning how to build guitars, getting back to like coming back and being different. When I was first learning how to build guitars, every single day I left the workshop, I had learned something that I'd never knew before. And then I would come home, have a sleep, do something, and then go back and then start working on something I'd never done before. But now I have the knowledge of what I had just learned, what I had just done. And now I'm trying to apply that to another new task that is a part of a process that I'm doing. So 
I've been in those situations, but I don't know if I really realized it because when I approached something new like that 10, 15 years ago, (laughs) the overwhelm of not feeling competent or like I knew where it was going to finish was that was a little too much to, to handle sometimes. And like, then I get that little paralysis analysis where it's all so new and I'm not quite sure because I'm making something physical, whereas like painting or more what you think of as art, like, mm-hmm. like painting, drawing, mu- music to me, even, I, I mean, if you're, if you're seeing it, if you're touching it or hearing it, like it's physical, but like not in the same sense of like building a piece of something that you can knock on, let's say, but anyway. So do you, do you feel constrained ever by the pre-written rules that you've been taught? So, and I'll, I'll tell you kind of maybe where, where, why I'm asking the question. Mm-hmm. So one of the concepts that he talked about was the idea that to really be an artist, to create, that the best creators are those that are the best individuals who either know all the rules, so they know how to break them intentionally, or the ones who don't even know what rules there are to play by, and therefore break them because they're being guided by their creativity and not hampered, essentially, by the rules that they were taught. So I wonder, I mean, maybe that question to you, do you, do you feel that? Do you recognize that? How does that sit with you? I, I think it's a bit of both. I've learned in the last several years to em- embrace that, that pause, whereas before it, I used to kind of feel a little ashamed of it. Like I was the kid that didn't want to jump off the rope swing. Like it was just a little too scary for me. Like I'm like, this is a dumb idea. Like, didn't so and so break his arm a month ago doing this? Why would I do it? I could so see little Keith the, doing the that. Practicality of me, just like just little Keith sitting there with his arms crossed, like just shaking his head at his friends, like you guys, like okay, I'll go get help when you get hurt, kind of thing. <laughs> so yes, I I feel the resistance of like the programming from an early age of following the step-by-step instructions, following the rules and doing it as quote unquote, the way it should be done. Right. And that has presented itself in me being hesitant to leap uh, and not, not start. And then we talked about before learning about perfectionism and seeing like, Oh, there's definitely strains of perfectionism that you can hide behind to prevent you from starting. Well, it's okay that I'm not starting because if I start now, it won't be perfect. And the world tells you it, it better be a hundred percent or it's not worth it, but you can hide in that because that's not true. So the thing I'm thinking about though is, and maybe I'm not getting kind of what Ruben's saying here, but I also think he's saying that if there's a pause, even because of that, that there's a reason behind potentially why you might be pausing and that will just make your creative process and the creation that you ultimately create served by that. I mean, I don't remember exactly that point you're Mm -hmm. calling back to, but I have a feeling that he probably said something like it can serve you or it cannot serve you. It could be part of your process or it could be hindering your process. It is what it is kind of thing. Um, I was going to say, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, I'm sorry. This may not be that important, but I've learned, like I was saying, I've learned to embrace the methodical way that I approach solving problems. It can be like if you you can index on something that's a strength and then you can over index on it and then it turns it into a weakness, right? So I want to be mindful of not doing that 
embracing the what is it like kind of like the the saying of it's in one of the it's probably the marines or armed forces or something somewhere in there slow is smooth and smooth is fast seeing that other people get results from hey let's slow down let's assess the situation and if we go about this and we're smooth we're actually going to get to the the end goal or outcome faster but also not letting that be one of those things like perfectionism that holds me back like oh it's okay that i'm going slow and not getting anything done because i'm just it'll be faster in the long run than if i screw up there's a balance there and knowing when that's appropriate and not is a good thing right it's our job to draw information and transmute it and share it ruben says and we're all we're just taking everything in and then resharing it other people say like here i made this like when the kids would bring us drawings when they're little, like, look, look what I made. That's like what we all just need to do. Not, like not be so caught up of whether or not someone's going to say it's the best thing in the world or the worst thing. It's like, no, here, I made it. If it's, if you like it, it's for you. If not, it's not for you. Anyway. Yeah. No, I, I, you know, the thing that I was intrigued by maybe is that he talked about that sometimes we're pre-programmed. I don't know if it's pre-programmed. That's not what he used, but the idea that Say if you're an artist and you're going to do a painting, the way that you go about that is you take some canvas, you stretch it over a frame, and then you decide what you're going to paint. But even the act of saying, okay, the rule of I have a frame and I have a canvas, that actually limits your creativity in a way based on the rules of what painting is and what medium you do it on. And so I thought that was interesting because I think so often we do have those rules. And some of the things that I felt like I've been able to be the most creative in are ones that I have no business potentially trying to do. But what do you mean? Uh, so even even like gardening, I always start seeds in our dining room every every spring. And I never know exactly what's going to grow, what's not going to grow. So I think my idea sometimes of gardening is I've always been like, I don't know if it's like a gorilla gardener where I'm like, I'm just going to take over this part of the lawn and throw some stuff in it. And hopefully the deer don't eat it, you know, and hopefully it grows if maybe it's sturdy enough. So I don't know if that's a really good example, though. I think you're just really good at going about the practice of what you're attempting to do. Say more about that. You don't let resistance slow you down about whether or not it's going to be right or good enough. The reason you're gardening is because you want to garden and you want to grow plants, peppers, tomatoes, whatever. You don't let the fact that it may not rain for a while stop you from starting. You're like, well, I'll just have to tend to the garden a little more. In order to get a, a jump on it, we're going to have multiple tables full of plants in our dining room for the next <laughs> two months. You know? Yeah. Like, if you see an obstacle, you you hurdle over it, you know? It, yeah. it, it's it's inspiring. Like, I will you find say, a way. <laughs> there are some things. Let me share a frustration, maybe. So last weekend, the thing that I spent quite a bit of time on is I transplanted my little bitty seedlings into a little bigger cups. So they kind of graduated. And I had to thin some and sacrifice some and get them out of the, from the growing medium into like actual potting soil and garden soils type dirt. And year after year, I always want to grow cherry tomatoes, or not cherry tomatoes, sorry, ground cherries. But I keep trying to grow them year after year from seed, and I just keep failing over and over again. I had to dump all of the 
growing medium because I failed yet again this year. But I guess maybe one of the things that I think about is I keep trying. I keep learning and trying something slightly different from the year before to see if I can make it work. And at the end of the day, I know that there's a greenhouse. If I really wanted to, I could figure out who has that plant and buy one that's already started. So so the thing I want to talk about is there's a chapter called Seeds. And this resonated with me for a couple different reasons. It really creates a nice connection between ideas and actual seeds. They really are talking about planting seeds and not how all seeds necessarily come to fruition or all seeds turn into what you think they're going to be. They also talk about that it's really important to plant as many seeds as you possibly can. What I thought was interesting about that from a creative standpoint and specifically around this podcast We're trying to figure out, we know that we want to create something. We know generally what we think we want it to be about. The idea we keep coming and showing up every weekend and spending a couple hours together talking about ideas, about the creative process, about things that resonate with us, things that are important to us. And I would also say things that make us tick. There was some comfort, I think, in this chapter for me to know that sometimes it might be seed number 63 that emerges and flourishes, or sometimes it, it might be, you know, seeds one, four, and seven that combine together in this amazing way. This chapter really brought a lot of, I don't know if it was hope, but optimism, maybe it was about the creative process and optimism that if we continue to show up and we continue to plant seeds and put ideas out there, that will grow something pretty extraordinary. So I thought, again, it's a little heady, but I really appreciated the analogy to actual seeds because that's the season right now for me, but then also that connection to what we're trying to do together. I totally agree. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, the more lines you cast, the more likely you are to catch. Whether you believe in luck or not, the harder you work, the more luck you seem to have, right? Right. Oh, imagine that. <laughs> the, the harder I work, the more, the more luck I have. It's, it's, to me, it's, it's, it's funny. It's positioning yourself for the best outcome. You may not get the outcome you're looking for, but then if you keep working at it, you might get a different outcome. I think that fits what you said. It fits in with the biggest thing about this text that keeps coming up and I need to instill in myself. So he says in the, he's got a chapter called practice and that aligns a lot with Seth Godin's last book he came out with called the practice. And I really like that. There's a lot of these people coming out that have had creative lives and and done creative work and they're starting to share their, their perspectives about it. The practice is all about doing the work And the point of the practice is creating habits. Like Ruben says in the chapter practice, the real work of an artist is a way of being in the world. That resonates with me, I think, in the same way that the planting the seeds resonates with you. And I think it's a very similar thing. When I find myself doing the things that fill my cup, whether it's listening to music, playing music, or reading things like this book, taking those types of inputs, the things that like really resonate, like you can feel the frequency of it versus, you know, maybe the way that we sometimes get caught up spending our time, which is kind of doom scrolling or taking in things that maybe don't resonate as much, but it's kind of like a, 
a placeholder. <laughs> this is this will do until I fall asleep, and then tomorrow maybe I'll try something else, kind of thing. I guess making the most of every seed you plant, or not being so sentimental about every seed you plant, and just realizing like, hey, if it works, it works. If it doesn't, there's more. So it's kind of like this. It's not even a dichotomy. I think there's just so many different possibilities, and if you open yourself up to it and be in the awareness. To me, the point is finding a practice that you can stick with that leads to the the outcome of you being creative, not a specific outcome of you were creative in a good way. It's no, you're creative and you feel, feel and sense like a job well done kind of thing. I like talking about that in resonance because we're musicians and man, when I hear the right note, it, it just, I can feel it. I don't just hear it. I feel it. And I have a, like a visceral reaction. And I think that can happen not just with music and sound, but I can see something beautiful and feel that same reaction. So, yeah, no, I agree. I mean, and going back to the music piece, I was just recently at a concert where there was a pianist and a violinist. They're playing a piece and I was just caught up, just so caught up in the beauty. The hairs on the back of my neck were just Mm -hmm. like sticking up and like this, oh my goodness. And you could just feel it. So when you talk about resonance and that vibration, uh, I think it's important to notice that, right? Yeah. yeah to he, to he, pay witness to that. Yeah. He, right? and he, that, like that's what he talks about. He's like, yeah, don't like don't let that pass you by. Take that in, acknowledge it in some way, which might even not be acknowledging it, but like you said, just witness it mm-hmm. and and allow it to kind of wash over you. Yeah. And I guess my point is like just putting myself in situations where that happens more often. I used to be in more situations where that was happening. And this might be a good pivot if, unless you sure. have something else no, to say, but ahead. there is a chapter called Submerge. And it, it reminds me of Julia Cameron's The Artist's Way. And that's about writing three longhand pages. If you're a writer outside of your writing work, but this for any artist, writing longhand, whatever, free writing, don't stop because you made a mistake. Don't scratch things out. Just keep going. That is just a practice that helps you connect with that self. So he's talking about submerge. I just wrote, this reminds me of the artist date that she talks about, getting out by yourself and just going somewhere that is inspiring or, you know, whether it's, you know, going to an art museum or going for a walk in the woods, but just getting out in the world and just being, it's just really, I like that these things connect with other works that have resonated with me. So I don't know if you got that far. I did. And I've always thought being out in nature is really powerful. My family has a old family farm up in northern Wisconsin and up north, up north (laughs) in the woods is the maple syrup trail that is full of sugar maple trees. And growing up, my great grandparents and grandparents would go out and tap the trees in the spring. But to be in those woods, to smell the leaves, to see the brilliant green in the springtime, to see the bright yellow in the fall time, there's just nothing more centering for me than being in nature and in particular being being in those woods. I think I might have circled back around to, to something like by bringing up, so it's submerged, parenthesis, the great works. And he's talking about if you make the choice to read classic literature every day for a year instead of reading the news or... Mm, it's about choices, right? 
because there's an endless amount of data available to us and we have a limited bandwidth to conserve, we might consider carefully curating the quality of what we allow in. That's maybe a little bit of what I was trying to say and not not to cast judgment on what somebody may determine is is worth them taking in. Like you do you, you know, right? I'm not going to like yuck your yum. If you want to be on Twitter, be on Twitter. But listening through this book and reading it, it's helping remind me, consider what I'm putting in right? because it's going to help with my output. Yes, I want to take in all these amazing things and be aware. Like I like that he brings up awareness. Mm-hmm. I'm really good at being aware a lot of the time, but there's also some times where you're probably like, where are you? You're not aware of anything. Can't you see over here? I'm about to drop this. Where are you? You know, like, or I'm aware of something else. Maybe if I'm looking to create habits to be more creative and more productive in my creativity and my making, then I have to make sure that I'm not doing things that are going to be the opposite of that. Right. Yeah. I mean, social media can be an amazing thing, but it can also be a giant distraction to it. Yeah. That's one thing that I've also thought about quite a bit because there was a time when you and I were always watching the news and on Twitter to get the latest news. And then I think both of us just felt like you could still get the information you needed to be current on world events without bathing in it. Yeah. I I mean, what his notion is, right? Like cut out reading the news, he says. Well, I actually, I'd rather read the news than watch it. I can decide how I'm going to take it in and when, when I read it. But I totally agree. Like what you're putting in, it matters. Yeah. It's also like, I don't want to be like, I can't believe, you know, I'm not saying like, oh, I can't believe you watch the news. You're a horrible person. I would never want to hang out with you. Like, you know what I mean? It's just. You do you. Yeah. I'm not suggesting either that you just completely get off social media. You know, like I think there's also ways to cultivate your timeline in a way that can serve you. Yeah. This is probably a little off topic. Last year, I had this goal that I wanted to become a runner. I had never run a 5K in my life. I was always the person or the the girl in gym class in high school that when I had to do the mile, I was like, can I just be sick? Like I (laughs) hated running, but there's always been this fascination that what if I was to complete a 5k? What if I was able to do it on my terms and train for my body? So last summer I really went all in. I did a training plan. Keith, you helped me because you ran cross cross country. I had cross country and track a little bit. Yeah. I was a big dude that did the 800 in the mile in track and then cross country, you know, the, the 5k, but like, I was never, you know, like I wasn't in the top five people on the team, you know, the, our teams, I was in a small school. Yeah. So I put together a plan, stuck to it pretty good. I mean, I did it all summer Mm -hmm. and I, I completed several 5ks. I completed two 10ks. I was on fire. And then this winter, when I had to start running on the treadmill, it was like a big, like, no, I'm not doing this. And so I've started that again. This is my whole point. I've started this again, the training just a couple weeks ago. And so I am sore. And one thing that I thought about really intentionally is how do I cultivate my timeline that if I'm on Instagram, if I'm on Facebook for whatever reason, that I see the content that's going to help me see me doing that goal. So there's different businesses and things that I've been following for that reason. So I try to cultivate my feeds also into, you know, music or 
designers, graphic designers, video editing type stuff. Like it helps remind me of things that I'm trying to grow in and excel in, like just trying to curate it as best you can. It can be a useful tool. Right. I guess like I always got to remember, like if it's free to use, it's not the product you are. They're selling you to other people. And that's why there's so many ads, you know, like take advantage of the system for yourself and not let them dictate what you're going to put in in as input for you. Anyway, let's move on to something else. I think you mentioned something about almost like you, you talked about something at one point. It was almost like about having structure. I think he even talked about that of, I wrote like, you know, how do I want to show up daily, weekly? He's like, you, you do this, you know, once a day or once a week. And until, you know, one day you notice that you're, you're just always in a, a constant state of awareness of openness and receiving kind of thing. I translate that into, if I keep working towards a creative practice is kind of what I call it. And just putting myself in the space of doing my morning pages, getting out, getting sun, fresh air, physical activity. These all lead to instances where I may become aware of something that I wouldn't have noticed if I wasn't doing some action, right? Doing the work and then shipping it. Like here I made this kind of thing. So I work as a educational administrator quite a bit <laughs> going on day to day. One thing that helps me show up for that is to build that routine and build that practice before I engage in the work. I've spent the last couple of years trying to cultivate that habit or that routine or that practice of showing up for myself each morning. So I've started a morning routine. I get up at what time? Five sometimes, yeah, most of the time. Normally five. I get up, I get some movement. I'm not up. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm pretty structured about it. I get up, I get two cups of coffee. I make a pot of coffee for when you get up. You leave me a few cups out of that pot. I sure do. Let's be clear about that. Sure do. You don't make me a pot of coffee. You're right. You make a pot of coffee and I get a few cups. (laughs) But I get downstairs. I do movement. I do my journaling and planning for the day. And then I do some sort of self-growth or self-development. So whether it's reading or listening to a podcast, and then I get upstairs, take a shower, get ready for work so I can engage in the day. But then what I would argue is some of my need to be creative in developing and creating. I don't know if that's exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. No, like that's setting myself up for that work. Part of your practice, a really important part of it is like your morning routine is setting you up to be successful, not just as a person and growing and and making sure that you're, you're being cognizant of, of things, right? Because you've taken that time in the morning to check in with yourself. And, and if you don't take care of yourself, then you can't take care of others. I'm, I'm rambling. <laughs> but you have a really good routine going. Maybe, did you have any other notes? Otherwise, maybe the question we could talk about is, what one thing will you take away from this book and incorporate in some way into how you approach your creative process? The first thing I wrote down when I was taking notes today was one that I already mentioned. The real work of the artist is a way of being in the world. We've touched on this before. My practicality or how I grew up making practical decisions, which 
kind of stopped me from following more creative paths, making practical choices for security, being able to afford housing, food, whatever, you know, those, those types of things. He talks about, you know, doing the work that's not for utility or survival, right? That's kind of the point for me is pursuing those projects that go beyond surviving in utility. It's, it's so much deeper than that. And I don't take that lightly. Again, fortunate to be putting a lot of energy into feeling fulfilled with the work that I'm pursuing. And I know a lot of people have the real struggles of housing and food and day-to-day what's coming next. And so I should probably not squander the fact that I have the ability to pursue my art to the fullest and taking the time to put myself in a situation where I can be aware enough to take in things that I can put back out and hopefully help other people in some way. I know I'm kind of rambling about that, but it's never felt like an option to call myself an artist or to be an artist or a creative, but it is now. I like the way this book makes it feel like it's okay for me to, to be who I am and feel the way that I feel about my environment and the way I take things in. I really appreciate the way he makes it feel like a safe, a safe space, sharing, sharing space, just reading a book with like, he's already written it, but I'm sharing space with him as I read it. It's reminding me of those feelings, whether it, you know, he calls it childlike wonder or whatever, but it's like, you know, more adolescent wonder (laughs) for me. What can I make? What can I build? You know, like that's all I used to be focused on is like, I have all these things I'm taking in and they're so amazing to me. I've never seen this before. I've never heard this until now. I've never read this until right now. And it's so raw and like it can come off sophomoric in a way. So green and so naive, but there is such a, a beautiful passion that comes out of the newness of discovering something. And then that feeling of, have you seen this? Look at what I found. I want to share it with you. And that connection with, I love this thing. I found it and it just tickles my fancy or whatever, right? If you want to say it that way, what do you think of this? Isn't this amazing? I feel like, you know, when you're 14 and you say that somebody, someone might say, well, that's stupid. That's dumb. And then you kind of get your feelings hurt. Well, right now I feel like I could be like, what do you think of this? And if someone's like, oh, that's not for me, maybe there's somebody else it's for just being able to kind of shrug off that needing for approval and more that seeking of connection with like-minded people or like the things that I like. But if I share it, maybe they'll catch a glimpse of it. I would love to be able to create something that unlocks something for somebody else in the way that I feel like this book and many others have for me. I like to ramble. I don't know what to add to that. (laughs) That's because I talk too much about random things. So how about you? Like what, what stands out to you besides the seeds or is it that? The thing that is resonating with me the most, the idea that your creative process, that if it takes time, there's a reason it's taking time. If it's flowing, there's a reason why it's flowing. So it's almost more of a engage in the process and have wonderment in creating what it is that you're going to create without fully knowing what that might be. I know that seems very like maybe fluffy, but there's something that's very calming even. Like there's a sense of calm. So like as well. Intangible is calm to you, which is like I not that's not my default. <laughs> intangible, like uncertainty, but like resigning yourself to that and realizing like it's okay to not know. But 
It's, is it's lo- like what I'm hearing. It's <laughs> anyway. different than that, though. It's, it's not resigning yourself. It's a trusting the process to the point that the process is going to work out the way that it's going to work out. And where you are is where you should be at this moment. And that's powerful. You can try and control it and you can try and dictate what it is. But is that really going to lead you to the creative product that's, that you have as your potential? You know? Where you are is where you should be. Mm-hmm. I can see how I would push back against that in a way. Like I know what you mean. And you already kind of said it a little bit. Because I've said it to you where the outcome's the outcome. Doesn't, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. you Whatever it's going to be is going to be. And so that's the same with like wherever you are, it's where you are. But that shouldn't dictate where you want to go. If you're where you want to be, that's great. But if you're if you're where you don't want to be, it's not where you should be. Kind of like I can feel someone being yeah. like, but I don't want to be where I'm at. Like but I'm struggling. I would argue though that I get that. And some situations and experiences that I would have preferred not to have. Yeah. But I'm who I am today because of that. You look for the gifts in the in yeah. in the struggle, right? Or right. It's persevering through it. Something that my executive coach tells me, and I may have talked about this already, but she'll ask, how is this individual your Jedi trainer right now? <laughs> you know, so how how is this situation and this individual that you're struggling with, how are they your Jedi trainer? How are they sharpening your skills and helping you grow and learn in a way that you wouldn't have chosen to learn and grow in? Yeah, and I agree with that. I think all I was saying is, if you're in a bad place and you happen to be listening to this, we're we're hoping this is somewhat helpful, right? Yeah. I'm rambling. It's all right. I just, yeah, I'll be quiet. Being practical. Not being. In a good way. You're being, you're acknowledging. I'm not being proud. I'm just saying like it's. You're acknowledging beyond the like, woohoo, like we can do it. Most tiny little hurdles in the moment, it, it feels pretty intense. I don't, I'm just, I don't know. I just don't want people to, I don't want people to feel bad if they're not where they want to be because <laughs> I, I've been there <laughs> Sure. And, and I got places I want to go, but that just means I need to keep on pursuing any seed or any lead that I feel like might bring me closer to that outcome that I'm looking for that I maybe don't, don't I don't even know what sure. it is. So anyway, should we wrap it up or did you have more? No, I don't think I I had more today. Okay. I mean, I I appreciate, I will say, I appreciate that you really like this book. I thought, I mean, how many chapters are there? There's there's a bunch. They're super short. It's Yeah. It's maybe like a 4-hour listen at the most, like three and a half, four hours. I don't know how many pages. Uh it says 406, but I don't know if that's right cuz it's Kindle. I, I thought it was a, a good book, but it was also very, like I said, I took away from it something very different, I think, than you did. I took away from it as a, your process is your process and it will emerge. And it was much more kind of trust the universe-esque to me, which I jive with. Yeah. I And I hear that message in there, but what I get from it is more of like a reassuring like hand on my shoulder of like, yeah, you're creative too. Yeah, I see you. Keep you do to be seen. You do you, and there's lots of creatives like us out there. So you don't have to hide that away. You can embrace it. It's just one of those things where it just it makes you feel like 
you know, part of a community and helping me re- remember that I'm part of a, a creative community and, and being able to be okay with pursuing that. There's n- there's nothing wrong with, with pursuing creative work. Right. And I, not that I think there ever, I never thought there was, it's just that like I couldn't, there was times where it just wasn't available. Wasn't always an option, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Sure. There's some creativity in, in anything that you're doing and embrace that as best you can until you can move on to the next thing that you want to pursue, I guess. In addition to that, I would also emphasize if you're embracing your creative art, it may not necessarily be what you think, but it potentially could even be something more than you think it is. I don't mean to call back to more references as we're trying to wrap things up, but thinking about how The Clash tried to recreate something and they created punk, right? Mm. Or like The Beatles tried to recreate recreate something they heard but they created something extraordinary there is something to that even though there might not be a mold for what it is you end up creating even if you're trying to imitate or be informed by some creativity you think is what you're going for you could truly create something extraordinary that never existed before and i think that's really powerful yeah so i'm, I'm gonna read these few things because it actually ended on This is what is on here from the book. So beginning a work, completing a work and sharing a work. These are key moments where many of us become stuck. We tend to think that what we're making is the most important thing in our lives and that it's going to define us for all eternity. Consider moving forward with the more accurate point of view that it's a small work, a beginning. The mission is to complete the project so you can move on to the next. The next one is a stepping stone to the following work, and so it continues in productive rhythm for the entirety of your creative life. So that might be the thing that sticks out the most to me in the book. We'll see. I got to finish like the last third. The point is to unstuck yourself and just keep moving forward. The next thing will come, and you're going to attack it, and you're going to get done with that, and then go to the next thing and keep moving forward. That's a great place to wrap it up. All right. See you next time, Laura. See you next time. Bye. Bye. One of these days, maybe I'll get back to running a little bit, but uh, you got me a bike, what, a year or two years ago? Yeah, and I think it, for so Father's I'm, Day, right? Yeah, so I'm excited to get the bike back out once it's actually above 50 degrees for a couple days, <laughs> like consistently. Oh, it's coming. Well, yeah, then I'll have to get out early before it gets like to 70. I, what is that funny? Like if if it's, I'm laughing because you're like, you know, it has to be above 50 degrees for a couple days, but nowhere above 70. I'm like, oh, you're so precious. My sweet spot is like 55 and 30% humidity. That's like a sweet spot for me. If it's over 40 and it's over 30% humidity, I'm probably sweating. Like it's just how I'm built. (laughs) Uh, so, so precious yeah it's true. what do you call me you call me a peach i call i almost called you a peach and then i thought <laughs> yeah, wow no that's all right